Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 3. But as you're turning there, I want to, I want to talk about something that uh, I think we all know. There are some things in life that are just obvious. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, there's some things in life that are just really obvious. That the day's going to be bad when you walk out and there is a flat tire on your car. Come on, somebody. You know that this day is just not going to go the way I thought it was going to go. There's some other things in life that are obvious that like Pepsi's better than Coke. Amen. <laughs> wow. Wow. You're booing your pastor in church. You should be ashamed of yourself. I'm all right. I'm just going to I'm going to dig that knife even farther. OK, uh, Apple products are better than Microsoft. I mean, we're still praying for Pastor Jake on that. <laughs> we'll pray for you after church. We're going to lay hands on Jake after church. Now, I mean, there's some other things that are obvious in life, like if you're a chicken fan, like PDQ has the best chicken. On Sunday. The only thing that's obvious about anything I'm saying right now is that those are my opinions. Right? But, but, there, there are some things in life that, uh, ought to be obvious, shouldn't they? Last week we talked about the Christian faith ought to be known for love, not hate. That, that's obvious, right? When, when the Bible says that God is Love, And then what we studied last week is that the scripture tells us that in this world, you are like Christ. You are the presence of God. So when there's darkness somewhere at your house, at your job, at your whatever it is that you find yourself doing, that when you walk in, light walks in. And so that's what we've been talking about. But there's a miracle that takes place before that light comes into your life. And it's the miracle of conversion. And, and we couldn't really talk about miracles for any length of time without talking about the miracle that's most significant in your life. You see, because God could heal you of cancer or God could heal you of whatever ailment you have. But even if he heals you, what's the Bible say? That it is appointed once for a man to die. You know, there's some things in this life that level the playing field. One is that we are all, regardless of our experience, regardless of the length of our life, there is coming a moment where you are going to die. And I don't mean to start church morbid this morning, but there's some things that Bring everything equal. We live in a world that's not equal. We live in a world that's not fair. We live in a world that's really broken. But that moment of reckoning brings all of us to the same table, does it not? We all wrestle with that. And the question is, on that moment, what happens? What happens? What happens? It's that famous question that all of us have to ask. You can ignore it as much as you want, but you have to ask the question. Because it's coming for you. What happens when I die? 
We have to answer that question. And for some of you, it has sent you on a religious quest. For some of you, it has sent you on a scientific quest. But here's the reality. When you go far enough back and when you dig far enough in, we're all left at the doorstep of faith. What will I put my trust in? Will it be the God of the Bible? Or will it be myself? That's the question that we're faced with. And when you think about what's obvious in this life, um, I can't think of anything that is more pertinent and more obvious to those of us that are Christians to be talking about in this moment in culture that we live. I want to I want to go to John chapter three because there there's an interesting story and so. If you know Christ, you're going to you're going to find your place in this story. But but if you don't call yourself a Christian and then you are either you're new to the faith or you don't have faith, you've not put your trust in Jesus. Maybe you even think the whole thing is silly. Wherever you find yourself, this story is going to meet you where you are. And and we're going to see ourselves in the story and and we're going to wrestle together with the same questions that every human being has to wrestle with. Okay, because what happens is there's going to be a guy who is religious, but he's not a follower of Jesus, is going to come to Jesus and basically ask him the obvious question that I've already asked you, is that what's the deal with Jesus? Because when you when you move past the death question... You, you begin to look at who in the history of the world has made a difference in the lives of people. There is no one paralleled just in history itself to Jesus Christ. I mean, there's more paintings of him. There's more songs about him. There's more uh, evidence of him than of any other people, person who has walked the face of the earth. He, you know, there's no other human being that has ever walked the face of the earth that has had billions of people call him Lord. Think about that. Even right now, there's more than two billion people on this planet that call Jesus Lord. Think about that. And throughout time, he's been the biggest person. He's the crooks of history. And so for you, the the question is going to be, what will you do with Jesus? Because at the end, when death reckons for you, that will be the most important question that you ever answer. And so today we're talking about miracles of conversion. But Jesus is going to say some things to a guy named Nicodemus. And we'll just call him Nick. Because it helps you realize that Nick was a real dude at a real time, in a real place, and he was watching real things happen, and he's doing what you and I would do if Jesus showed up here this morning and was like, I'm God. <laughs> and you would be like, and you're insane. We're going to take you somewhere. If you think about the things that Jesus said. And so let's go to John chapter 3, and, and let's let's just walk through with Nick, Nicodemus, the emotions that he must have felt when he came to Christ. 
So here's what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So this guy was a religious guy. He was a powerful guy. And uh, he, he was in what's called the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish uh, ruling religious court. And they had clout. They could sentence you to death. They could put you in prison. They could do a lot of things. It was a different time than the one we find ourselves in. But he did not know Christ. So verse 2, this man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus by night. Because if you got power and you're going to the crazy guy, you go at nighttime. Right? It was a meeting in the night. And here's what he says. He comes to Jesus and said, Rabbi. So he's respectful. He's recognizing that there's something different. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. At this point, Nicodemus is close. He's close, but he's not totally right. Jesus comes from God. But what Nicodemus is going to find out is that Jesus is God. And that's my prayer for you today. But here's what, here's what the conversation turns to. He says, it's obvious that you're a teacher from God. Nick, Nick is Captain Obvious at this point. It's obvious... You have something from God. Thank you, Nick. But here's what what he says. He says, no one can do the signs that you're doing unless God is with them. But listen to what Jesus says. Can we just put ourselves in Nick's shoes for a second? Okay, you just come to this guy who's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's calling himself God. He's doing all kinds of amazing things. John the Baptist who gathered a big following in the middle of the wilderness and you know was kind of weird but kind of fun and entertaining is pointing at Jesus and saying this is the Messiah. All of this is going on and Nick's like, "Okay, there's something different about you. You you have something in you that's different from me." He's recognizing the obvious. So he comes and says that to Jesus. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says to him. Okay, because this is where, if we're honest, if it happened today, we would begin to think Jesus was crazy. I want you to be honest. Be honest with the text. Here's Jesus' answer to him. It's obvious that you are from God and with God. Jesus, in verse 3, answers him, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I like to think that Jesus was being sarcastic there. I can't prove that. But if somebody came in here and walked up to you and you said, Hey, I've seen some of the work you do. It's, it's incredible. And, you, and they said to you, you have to be born again. You'd be like, okay, <laughs> that's weird. But listen to what Nicodemus says, verse 4. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Like, come on, man. Like, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? And for, like, here, here's why this is an important story in the Bible. If you don't know Christ today, th- this is a question that you're going to ask. Or that I want to lead you to because you need to ask it. 
This idea of conversion, this idea that when I come to Christ that I am reborn, that I'm regenerated. There's a Greek word here that literally means to be born again from above. That when you come to this place where you're going to say, what happens when I die and we're going to lead you to Jesus, you're going to wrestle with this idea that you have to be born again. That God came to earth for you to pay the penalty for your sin, which you may or may not even think you're a sinner. You must be born again. Nicodemus continues to ask the obvious questions. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, verse 9, how can these things be? <laughs> it's a great question. I would encourage you to ask it. When you read the Bible, the question, how can this be, is a great question. How can this be? And then Jesus presses on the button that Nicodemus needed to be pressed. In verse 10, it says, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. So because what Jesus is doing is reminding Nicodemus that there is something outside of you that's greater than what's inside of you. We often, when we come up against problems, when we come up against answers that we cannot answer, we think that if we dig deeper inside, we're going to be able to figure out how to get farther outside. And what Jesus is reminding Nicodemus here is that no matter how much you search on the inside, there's going to be a question that remains outside of you that you need to answer. And when I look around our culture, I, I see a lot of people who, who have a lot of ideas and want to do a lot of things and can't find anywhere to go. And we end up with these dichotomies in worldview of people saying, on one hand, yes to something like Fifty Shades of Grey, and on the other hand saying, no to something like the Me Too movement. And we stand here in the middle and say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, Treating women poorly is either wrong all the time and not just sometimes. And we can, we can go into so many categories like that where the world, the culture we find ourselves in wants to believe in one thing and still have its other thing. And what we find is that when we dig through the mess, we find that culture is searching for answers. We find that every human being need something outside of themselves to come in and make a difference inside of ourselves. You know, Jesus, at a time where it was totally unacceptable, was including women and putting women in leadership and, you know, going to the Good Samaritan and telling stories of what the kingdom of God looks like. And he's building these bridges and people are asking questions and... One thing that we know is that people don't change. 
We might have more gadgets and gizmos. We might have more stuff and more money. But we're still human. And the Bible says that written on the heart of every man is this desire to know their God. And so I would ask you, well, where are you? Or where are you like Nicodemus was? Or where, what are you looking for and where are you searching for it? There's a hole in every human heart that only God can fill. And so Jesus is pushing on that button for Nicodemus because Nicodemus was a powerful guy and he was resting on his power and his intelligence to take him where he needed to go. And yet in this thread, we see Nicodemus willing to ask the question of Jesus. I just think that there's something different about you. I'm coming at night because I still want to hold on to what I've got just in case I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think there's something to Jesus. And I think there's somebody sitting in here today saying for your whole life, you've been looking at certain things and you're saying to yourself, there's something different about Jesus. I've seen this person's life radically change. I've seen that person come to Christ and things are totally transformed. There's something different going on with Jesus. And with everything else in the world. So Jesus pushes on that button for Nicodemus. In verse 11 he says this. Truly I say to you we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is claiming to be God here. I know that sounds like fancy Bible speak, but what he's saying is, you've never been to heaven, but I've been to heaven. And I've come from the Father. And I am the one you're looking for. And then Jesus tells us about what's about to happen. There's an Old Testament story Uh, where Moses is being called by God to go to Pharaoh, who was leading Egypt at the time, and he was going to take some signs and wonders to do before Pharaoh. And then Moses was supposed to tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, let God's people go. And Pharaoh was just supposed to obey Moses. Uh, But 1 Corinthians one twenty seven tells us that God uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So Moses had a speech impediment. And Moses is like, He's not even going to understand me. You've got to send somebody else. God's like, no, you're going to go and I'm going to be with you. And you're going to tell him that God sent you. And so uh, what happens is God gives him some signs. And one of the signs is that uh, Moses is supposed to lift up a snake. <laughs> and you think, what, what is all that about? But there's a story farther back in the Bible when God created the heavens and the earth. And he put people in the garden, the first people ever on earth. And the first people ever on earth were also the first people to sin on earth. And so Adam and Eve, if you know the story, were the first humans. And what comes to Eve and tempts Eve? Satan comes as a what? A serpent. And what does Moses take to Pharaoh and overtake? A serpent. And now here's Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and here's what he says. He's continuing this storyline that runs all the way through the Bible, from the very beginning of the Bible, where God says... 
to Adam, this serpent that overtook you, there's coming a point in history where I'm going to come and I'm going to crush that serpent's head and I'm going to set right all that was wrong. Jesus is talking about, or God was talking about sending Jesus even at the very beginning. But here's Jesus with Nicodemus in the middle of the night telling him a story. And he says this in verse 14, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent, so must the Son of Man, Jesus, God, be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. (laughs) What a crazy story. And then comes those verses that you've heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I think I quoted that in King James because that's what you're supposed to do with that verse if you grew up in church. (laughs) Can I get an amen from anybody who's been in church for a while? (laughs) Can't get that out of my head. But how about verse 17? If you're wrestling with Jesus today, I want you to know that it's not just verse 16. It's also verse 17. It says, For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It doesn't matter where you find yourself right now or what you've done or what you're planning to do, that in this moment of responsibility before God, he's come to you in the form of Jesus and said, What will you do with Jesus? He did not come into this world to condemn you, but to set you free. Whatever it is in life that you are looking for and it has eluded you and the satisfaction that you wish you could find, I want you to know that we have found it in Jesus. The Son of Man would be going to be lifted up. In other words, Jesus Christ came to earth to be offered as the sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And he's redeeming a people for himself. But it goes on here. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who just does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Listen, if you're taking notes today, if you grab the notes from the back, I just want to I want to talk real quick about what just happened here. First of all, Jesus is saying things that there are there's two kinds of birth. If you're taking notes, there's two kinds of birth. Number one, there's a physical birth. If you understand what a physical birth is, I want you to lift up your voice and say, I got it. You don't need a biology lesson today, amen? All right? Physical birth. However, there's a second birth that's in view here, and and Nicodemus is, is looking at this saying, what are you talking about? How can I go back into my mother? You know, weird, Jesus. And Jesus has this altogether different view here. Of number two, spiritual birth. There, there's a moment where every one of us has a spiritual birth. And there's no magic way 
you know, those of us in, in the church, we've used different things through the years to, you know, things from like the sinner's prayer to this, that and the other. And there's a lot of different things. But what the Bible says is that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is who he said he is, you will be saved. It's that simple, but it's almost true that the simplicity of it is what makes it so difficult. See, because Nicodemus is here in the middle of the night because he knows that there's something different. (laughs) He knows that something's different with you, Jesus. And what Jesus tells him is that he has to be born again. You have to be reborn. And there's so many people that that's where it stops because that's where it gets scary. Because if I'm reborn, the Bible says that old things pass away, all things become new. That's scary because we don't know what's on the other side of that. But I would suggest to you that when you come to the point of death without Christ, it's scary because you don't know what's on the other side of that. And Jesus says here that what's so tragic is that the light is shining so bright in the face of the world and they Put it out because they love the darkness rather than light. They love what is unfulfilling more than what could be filling. There's three things that happen when you are reborn. It's really a term that means to be regenerated. See, because what Nicodemus was pointing out was the fact that we're obviously not going back to our mom. For obvious reasons. Do I need to share some of those? So where you say no. I got it. Jesus is saying that we need to be born again or reborn or regenerated from above. We need something outside of ourselves to come and renovate inside of ourselves because you've tried. You've tried. You've tried to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've tried to make a life for yourself. You've tried to do what you think is going to make you happy. But I also know that you failed because you're a human. And when you look around and, you know, sometimes the question always comes, well, if God's so good, why is there so much evil? But I would suggest that you flip that question around and say, with all the evil in the world, it's amazing that there is some good. Because the Bible says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus prayed it this way in the garden right before he was going to die. He said, or when he was uh, teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, you know, he prayed, Father, uh, you are sitting in heaven. Help us bring your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. And so God's doing something in this world despite the evil and despite the people. He's still coming through and he's still breaking in. And he does three things in the life of people that confess him as Lord. That, that, that are reborn. They're reborn spiritually. And three things happen first. Regeneration from the Holy Spirit is a miracle that happens to ill-deserving people, not just undeserving people. I want you to know that you're not just an innocent person that didn't earn enough way to heaven. You know that in the scales of life that you just didn't quite get enough good works to 
tip that scale. In fact, the Bible is very clear that no one is righteous. No, not one. And, and th- this is the rub of the gospel. This is why the gospel hurts sometimes. Because to get to the good news, you have to go through the bad news. To see the good in the world, you first have to see the evil. To, to know that there's good means you saw that there's bad. And so th- this is where the rub is for some people. And, and, and we, we have news for you in the fact that you're not as good as you think you are. It's the classic answer is, but I'm not a bad person. But you are. We are actively at the scales of life, taking things out of the good bucket as fast as we can and throwing them on the bad bucket. That is a more accurate picture of you in life than you trying to get enough good in to outweigh the bad. In fact, we're chasing after the bad. And all you'd have to do is get in the car with me and drive around with Pastor Mitch and you know I'm shoveling stuff in the bad side, right? (laughs) And I don't know what it is for you. I need to take that Redeemer sticker off the back of my car. (laughs) No Jesus fish on this pastor's car. All right? I say that jokingly, but... It's proving a point, right? That there's something in your life, an addiction, some thoughts, how you treat other people, your selfishness. And, when, and if you were going to be real honest with me or we were going to put up on these screens all the thoughts that you have, all the deeds that you do, let, let's, let's get real with each other. It wouldn't take us long to figure out that your scales were pretty unbalanced. Because you see, the other thing besides death that levels the playing field of life is sin. I don't care who you are or where you come from or how long you've been doing what you've been doing. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. And we're all in need of a Savior. And so many people look for it in all the wrong places. And what I want to call you back to is that while you are actively searching for something to fill the hole in your heart, that you can come to Jesus and have it be filled. Regeneration is being made alive with Christ. And it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Ephesians is another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. And he said that when you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you. How active are dead people? You can answer that. How active are they? They're not active. They're not making decisions. But God in his grace in this moment right now is coming to you and offering you to be made alive. Will you take it? Will you take the gift? Will you take the gift? Second, regeneration or being born again is something that God does in a body of people. We sometimes forget that in Scripture, it's often brought to the people of God. In this story, we're seeing it brought to a person. But oftentimes, it's brought to a people. And so collectively, as the church, as the body of Christ, all around the world, more than two billion people will gather on Sunday 
all around the world and confess the same thing at the same time with everybody saying the same thing. Jesus is Lord. And it's amazing to go around the world and look at the different ways that that is expressed, but the same thing is expressed through all of those people and all of those places that Jesus is Lord. It's an amazing thing to watch God change a body of people. And for those of you discouraged by the current state of this church in the United States of America and how we've acted in this moment politically, I just want you to know that there's hope Because God sits on the outside of time and he's fashioning what is inside of time to be more like Jesus. And what we can't see, he can see. And he's working and moving and molding and shaping. And he will ultimately make good and make new all that is wrong. There's hope in Jesus because corporately, as a body, we're being changed into the image of Jesus. We're being made new. And, you know, we were starting city groups. That's why that's important. It's not just for you to hang out. It's not just for you to have another thing to do this coming, the next couple weeks. We're doing it because by going to city groups is an act of confession that I need something outside of me to help me. And one of the gifts that God's given us is the church. And then third, and I want to I draw you to the point where you have to look at Jesus in the eye. The third thing about rebirth, regeneration, is that you will never go to heaven unless you are born again. You will never go to heaven unless you are born again. There, there is no point at which you will do enough good things or that you will be a nice enough guy or a nice enough girl Because make no mistake about it, history has tested, science has tested that Jesus is who he said he is. And see, the thing that changes that is that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, but then he got up three days later. Amen? And because of that, and the reliability of that witness by people in the Bible and outside of the Bible saying, I don't know why... But it happened. Like we saw it happen. Hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ alive after dying. It's undeniable. But what you do with Jesus in this moment is deniable. And I would just come to you and say, Would you confess Jesus as Lord? And what sounds like the end of your life will be the best thing that ever happened to you. Because the end of your life is the beginning of his life through you and you've never experienced anything like it before. Here's what the Bible says in Titus 3, 5. Paul wrote this to a guy who was becoming a pastor. And he said this. He said, He, Jesus, saved us Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal 
by the Holy Spirit. It comes back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. As Nicodemus comes to him and says, dude, there's something different about you. In verse 3, he says, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's twofold. You can't see it now unless you're born of, born again. You can't see what God's doing in the world unless you know God. And then for eternity, you, you, you can't see heaven unless you're born again. We, we want nothing more than for every person that ever walks through the doors of Redeemer City Church, for every family member that is ever attached to a member of Redeemer City Church, to know that Jesus is Lord, but that that's the best news that you could ever have, not the worst. The Bible says it this way, when you lay your life down, you'll find it. It's at the foot of the cross that this decision's made. And no matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done, death and sin bring us, force us to this place where we say, what will we do with Jesus? See, because the greatest miracle that can ever happen is that God would come into your life and take residence and adopt you into his family and that you would become a child of God. You're never too far gone. You've never done too much. There's always time. If you're not dead, God's not done. There's always an opportunity for you to come to Jesus. I'm going to have the guys and girl come back up here. And as they come up and start to play, I want to read you a passage from the Old Testament. It's not going to be on the screen. What I want you to do is while they start to play, I just want you to listen to it. Why don't you stand with me? Let's get the blood flowing again. And I want you to listen to this passage because the reality is, is that when you stand without God, spiritually speaking, you are dead. You are dead. And there, there's, there's a thing that God is doing in the world in bringing dead people to life. It's not happening physically, but it's happening spiritually through rebirth, through being born again, through the confession of Jesus as Lord. And there's this passage in the Old Testament. There was a bunch of prophets in the Old Testament, if you're new to church. <laughs> and God asked them to do some crazy stuff. One of those prophets' names was Ezekiel. And there came a point where Ezekiel just couldn't see any hope. Where Ezekiel was looking at the people of God and saying, these people are dead. And I want you to listen to what God speaks to Ezekiel and then what Ezekiel is going to speak to the people. And I just want this to speak life into you. Here's what it says in Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the spirit. And the Lord set me down in the middle of a valley. Think of, think of it like a dad, you know, right? Like if your kids are going crazy and you as the dad walk in and you can grab a child, pick that child up out of the midst of whatever mess they were in, walk them to a different place and sit them down on a bed and look them in the eye. Everything changes in that moment, doesn't it? And so God grabs Ezekiel, literally, and takes him somewhere else and sets him in a field 
And the Bible says that field was full of bones. Dead bones. Ezekiel's looking at this field of bones. Just put yourself there. Ezekiel was a real person, by the way. He's sitting there looking at all these dead bones. I don't know what dead bones you're looking at in your life. And here's what Jesus does. He leads Ezekiel around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? When you look at your life, are you looking at at your situation and saying, God, is there anything you can do with this situation? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel answered and said, Oh, Lord God, only you know. Only you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and you will cause flesh to come upon them and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. For some of you, that's your testimony. That before you came to Christ, you were those bones. You were that death walking. And God came and breathed life into you. And I just want to say that there's somebody in this room. That you are the valley of bones. You are those dry, dead bones. And you need Jesus to come and breathe into you the breath of life. Some of you are Christians and you've just you've been through the ringer. You're looking at a marriage or you're looking at a kid or you're looking at a relationship or you're looking at a job or you're looking at homelessness and you're looking at that and saying, can these bones live? And I just want to say to you, like Ezekiel said to the people by the commandment of God, that with Jesus, these bones can live. So as the band plays, they're going to sing a song and you can sing with them. But it's a song that talks about, God, will you do again what you did in the past? Will you do it again? And I just want you to pray that to the Lord. If you don't know Christ, now's the time. Don't wait another day to give your life to Christ. There's a day that's coming. What will you do with Jesus? It's really simple. You just confess Him as Lord and say, Jesus, you're obviously God. I'm not. I believe that you are who you say you are. And that's going to begin a journey of a lifetime. If you make that decision today and as the guys sing, just pray that in your heart to God. Talk to Him. But don't walk out of here unless you tell somebody that you did because we want to walk with you. We want to help you. We want to be that corporate body that surrounds you. And if you do know Jesus today, but you're looking at a situation or a scenario and asking how, God, can you make this live? How can you breathe life into this? you to sing these words as a prayer to God the Holy Spirit and ask Him to show us. So let's listen and sing.